Well, hey, welcome to the Beautiful Unbelievable podcast. Drew Dotson here. I have a, a great guest today, Kevin Pemblot out of St. Louis. A long history. You'll hear his story. Very interesting. I do need to tell you that we had some uh, technical difficulties. Some audio was fading in and out. So it's not our top quality audio, but it's well worth the listen. Kevin is a delightful with a long uh, history. I think you're going to enjoy to hear what he has to say about microchurches, about move of the spirit, about the future of the church here in the West, in the U.S. So enjoy this conversation with Kevin and our apologies for some of the audio that is not the very best, but it's good enough. Hope you enjoy. So, hey, welcome back to the Beautiful and Believable podcast. Drew Dodson here. Uh, I'm excited today because I'm talking to a, a new friend, someone I don't know very well, so I'm going to be able to get to know him as you guys do as well. Uh, I'm interviewing uh, Kevin Pimblot with the Canvas Network uh, based in and around St. Louis. I met Kevin at the Micro Church Conference, which you've been hearing us talk about in the last several episodes. And we literally just briefly met at a table, uh, Kevin, because you were hanging out with a bunch of other guys from Arkansas uh, by accident at a table. And uh, I heard just a, a minute or two about what you're doing and uh, wanted you to, to, to talk with me and let our audience meet you. And so welcome to uh, the Beautiful and Believable podcast, Kevin Pimplot. I would love to hear a little bit about uh, your origin story, uh, where you came from. Uh, how in the world you found yourself to the States. Uh, and let's just start there and see where we go. Yeah, sure. Well, I was born in a city, a small city in the north of England called Stoke-on-Trent. Uh, the River Trent is where <laughs> the city is uh, based, you know. And uh, All right. I was born 67 years ago yesterday. I know I only live 35, but I, <laughs> I was 67 yesterday. And uh, well, happy Stoke birthday! Well, thank you. Yeah, well, Stoke on Trent uh, is famous for a few things uh, Wedgwood Pottery, Bone China. Uh, the captain of the Titanic was from Stoke on Trent, Reginald <laughs> okay, Mitchell. <great. laughs> yeah, so everybody gets that sinking feeling. And uh, and then Reginald Mitchell, <laughs> Reginald Mitchell, he invented the Spitfire aeroplane, and the older people on here will know that was very influential. In the Second World War, you know, so I'm I'm from there. It's yeah. a very industri in, industrial city, and uh, mm. so I've been on the planet for 67 years, and I've spent the last 20 years in the United States. I became wow. You're a uh, uh, yeah. I just want to hear about your uh, family coming to faith. Tell us a bit about family background and coming to faith. Yeah, well, I'm the eldest of three boys, and um, my Father died, and so I became the man of the house. Mm. And uh, mm. my mother died when I was 24, and I'm the oldest, so pretty much Whoa. not orphaned, but we were parentless quite. Right. right. And then uh, wow. I, I, be, I, I did visit the United States with my, uh, with my wife. We'd been married about a year. We'd been running a fish and chip shop mm. in London, and uh, trying not to poison everybody. And then we came to the United <laughs> States with a backpack each and $300 each. And we were traveling on Greyhound buses. So this was just after wow. the end of uh, the Vietnam War. So we came across, we were 
okay. Christians there. We weren't Christians at all. We had no church influence. And uh, travelled around the United States. We travelled about 8,000 miles in three weeks. And then settled. Golly. Yeah. Then we settled in San Clemente, California. And uh, uh, on the beach, and we got talking, and they thought we had cute British accents. So they invited us to come for dinner. So we went for dinner. Then they said, stay the night. We ended up staying the final six or seven weeks of the trip here with them and made lots of friends in Al Cajon, San, uh, California, which is part of San Diego, I believe. And uh, so we came in 1977. Then a couple of years later, my mother passed away. A massive impact on me. You know, I don't mean I was depressed or nothing mm. like that, but it really made me think, you know, about life and life after death and stuff. And it made my wife think. Mm. And secretly, she started reading the Bible in a bookstore in a lunch break. Yeah. She was reading the Good News Bible. And then unbeknownst to me, she she started praying and while she was reading. And then one Sunday morning when I had a hangover, she said, I want you to take me to church. So I said, oh, I'll take you next week. And uh, she said, no, I want to go today. So I, we went to this church because it had a modern front on it. That's the only reason we went to this church. And it was a Baptist church, and I went in, and the guy who was on the door said, you'll have to wait because there's people praying inside now. The room was jam-packed. I was super nervous, but anyway, eventually they took me inside, my wife Anne and I, and marched us all the way down to the front row. And oh, so, <laughs> That's great. I have never been so awkward in my life. And the guy who was preaching, I don't know if this will translate with the American audience, but the, the show was from Northern Ireland, and they, they are very passionate uh, about the gospel, you know. And if you've ever been there, Drew, yes. you, know, you know what they're like. Yes. And uh, he had this very strong <laughs> uh, Northern Ireland accent. So he was very, <laughs> And we almost needed an interpreter. But uh, he preached. That's great. That's yeah, great. Yeah. And he preached. And I'm, I'm on the front row. And now and again, I would, I would think, is he spitting on me at the same time? I was super awkward. <laughs> so... I step outside thinking I'm never ever going to church again, and then my wife—it's before—it's before, it's before mo mobile phones and stuff. She went into this red uh -huh. British phone box. She she okay. comes out. She, okay. goes, she said, "I've just called your cousin. She's a Christian. We're going to go to church with them tonight." So bearing in mind, <laughs> bearing in mind, I'd only been in church once in my life, and that was not pleasant. And we ended up in this Sunday evening in this gospel service. I could not relate to it. After about four weeks of going, because my wife was making me go, I said to her, mm. no, you go, I'm not going to go. So she came home mm. the first week after she'd been there on her own and said, everything has to change now. I've become a Christian. And my, first, my first thought was, well, hopefully the because that would be a really great bonus, you know. So, uh, yeah, so she became a Christian. I became a Christian a few weeks later. It was a small assemblies of, a small assemblies of God church, yeah. And, you know, we both, you know, uh, forgive me, just like old-fashioned language, but we were both converted, okay. you know. Yes. It wasn't church that yes. changed, it was the gospel, yeah. Uh, 
and I, I don't want to sound yes. too dogmatic or bombastic yeah. about it, but we were changed. We knew we were different. I got baptized. We both got baptized a few weeks later. That's another story that was hilarious. And, uh, <laughs> and we were was it, the, was it the change in your wife? Was it the change in your wife that softened you up so that you converted just a few weeks later? Massive change, massive change. Yeah. She stopped. She yeah. stopped cussing. The the uh. cooking improved, but she was nicer. <laughs> she was more gentle. She was crying a lot, uh. which made which caused me to worry about her. You know, then I went to church. The pastor was really good with me. He explained what was going on with my wife. The following week, uh. a guy. I had no idea what he said. I just knew something was happening on the inside, and I just knelt on. And I'm not a, I'm not a drama queen. I'm not demonstrative mm. in public, but I just couldn't help mm. myself. I, I knelt down, repented, wept for two mm. hours. I got mm. a lot of healing in, in those couple of hours. Nobody did anything with me. They just sat there and waited for me. People who remained and uh, then prayed for me, mm. and I was dead. And my wife was different, and wow. that was in 1980, wow. so it's a long time ago. 1980, well, but thank God the spirit was active then and is still active now. That's, that's yeah, a wonderful yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, so 1980, uh, after this uh, kind of 70, you did the reverse of what my wife and I did. We, we did Europe with a, with a backpack. So you guys did the States with a backpack. Yeah, yeah. And then return. And then uh, the Lord found you, and you found the Lord. It's always a mystery how that works, of course. Uh, who found who, and who found who first? I think it's usually the Lord. Uh, and so, nineteen eighty, you guys are converted. You're in your twenties. Is that 25, right? Twenty five. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. and now you find yourself Christians. Still have the fish and chip restaurant. No, we at that uh, point. I was working for a small oil company and uh, and I had to go and talk to my boss because we were doing things that were not very, there was no integrity in the company. And I had to go, I, I became a Christian. The next day I went to talk to him. I said, come in wow. early, I need, I need to talk to you. And I handed in my resignation. I, I said, you're going <laughs> to fire me when I tell you what I can't do anymore. And I told him all the things I can't do. Wow. And anyway, he changed. He didn't become wow. a Christian. He changed, his, he changed his, his values as well, you know. So. Uh, oh, nice. So, a little bit of, wow. I would say salt and light. You were seeing uh, the Lord move, the Spirit move around you. Uh, so what, what began to happen that eventually led you to the States? Tell us a bit of that story. Yeah, so, um, so the, the church had about... Six or seven young people in it, but no, no, you, no, you. And we were twenty-five. Mm. Back then, we were pretty cool, you know, uh, not like now, <laughs> but we were pretty cool back then. And so we started inviting these teenage generation Christians. So they weren't very committed. Uh, we just started inviting them to our house on Sunday. Mm. So we spent Sunday afternoon, and um, and then. We started said, well, why don't you start like a youth meeting? Well, I couldn't even say Jesus' name out loud in front of people. I could when I was praying on my own, but I was super intimidated. 
And I think week three, a young American couple were in our city and they were praying about becoming missionaries there, which they didn't eventually. But they came and invited them to come to this youth meeting and his wife talked to others, prayed with us. They, to use an English phrase, they took a shine to my wife and I. uh, (laughs) That's great. And then they invited themselves to our house the following day or a couple of days later, came for dinner. We gave them beetroot sandwiches and a cup of tea. And uh, a friendship started that lasted, you know. And uh, so they they were a massive influence on us. And we like I say, we'd already right. been to the United States. And then right. um, a couple of years later, they were youth pastors in a big mega church here in St. Louis. Okay. They brought a team of young okay. people to do street work on the capital cities of Europe. Okay. I was a brand new Christian, uh, you know, literally within a year of becoming a Christian. And they invited me to go with them to Amsterdam and Brussels and London. Trip really put missions right at the forefront of my life. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh. That's where I first felt the call of God to different nations. I was sitting in the hotel window midnight. I was too excited to sleep because I'm in another country. I've been preaching on the street and I'm a new Christian. I prayed for somebody. Wow. They got he- they got healed. I'm like blown away. Yeah. And um, and I felt like God called me to Belgium. Next nine years going to churches there as a brand new Christian, you know, and uh just that, just made lots of friends, saw lots of great things happening. A youth camp started. And this American couple would invite us to come stay with them. And then about six or seven years later, we came to St. Louis. By then, they had their own church and okay. about 150 people. And we made friends with the church. And we came every year since and ah. uh, made great friends. Wow. Okay. So what... Uh, we did a little uh, work early this year on the podcast here uh, around calling uh, and in, in trying to encourage people to think about their calling, that that's not just a word for uh, clergy. It's a word for every follower of Jesus, everyone who's been uh, converted by the Spirit. Uh, so uh, as you're sitting there all excited in that window, say a bit about uh about calling and about how it came to you. Was it an impression? Was it a voice? Was it a thought that the Lord confirmed in your heart? Tell us a bit about that experience of calling. Well, it's a long time ago, that evening, that late night in the hotel window, I was 26 years of age. Okay. And uh, so it's a long time ago, but I do remember strong emotions. I don't Mm. remember a voice... I just remember mm-hmm. an overwhelming sense that God was calling me to Europe, you know, mm. and, um, mm. and, the, and, mm. and particularly Belgium. So the huh. next, the second. Oh, I just, I just agreeing with you that often it's that sense of uh, oughtness. Uh, yeah. an, an emotion that just settles in without a lot of, in some ways, cognitive processing. It's just a sense of this is what I'm about. This is what I need to be doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And hmm. in the few times I've sensed that over the years, pretty much 
that's that's what it is, you know. I mean, even recently, I was driving to Champaign, Illinois, from St. Louis. It's about 180 mm-hmm. miles, and mm-hmm. the between St. Louis and sort of a media uh, <laughs> zone, and uh, yep. so you have no idea what radio station you're going to get, and there's lots of little right. stations. And I was, I was just scanning, and I came across this little station. I don't know where I was, but it came on, and it was uh, <laughs> a German evangelist who's just recently passed away. His name was Reinhard Bonnke, and uh, it was it was the last talk, public talk, um, before he passed away, and it was twelve minutes. And I don't I don't want to use too too strong language here, but. The presence of God in my vehicle was amazing. I was so energized. Yes. And I and yes. For some people, this will sound really mystical, but I kind of had this out-of-body experience while I'm driving over the speed limit, and it was <laughs> it was the call of God again to just open up my life to the Holy Spirit again. It was it was very picturesque. And those little encounters like that have really enhanced the sense of calling that I've, I've felt. I could give you several other examples, I won't, but early on, that was a big one for me in the hotel window. And being with people who knew what they were called to do, that was super important. Being in a community of people for a week who were very passionate about mm. Jesus and just and just knew that... Um, God had called them to do what they were doing, and that was the first time I'd come across people. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Wow, for, for a young Christian, it well, it 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 is that the, that experience in the car more recently, that in the hotel window, uh, I've I've had those uh, experiences that we in some ways we don't talk about that often because they do tend to be mystical. They do, they do tend to concern some people, but there may be something about that part of the United States. I got to tell you when, uh, I had to leave my family behind when I was 34 and head to Chicago to start seminary. I was changing careers from engineering, uh, to pastoring. And I had to go up by myself, uh, circumstances uh, around housing and all that sort of thing. And I got to tell you, in that kind of a media dead zone in uh, in Southern Illinois, as I was making my way up to Chicago, uh, the presence of God in my old station wagon that I was driving was it so thick you could cut it with a knife. And it stayed with me for several days. And I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, uh, unlike you, I was not. I did not come to faith in an assembly of God or Pentecostal church. I'm, I'm a. I came to faith in a Baptist church, and we were scared of all that stuff. Uh, but I'm telling you, uh, there in Southern Illinois, making my way to Chicago, uh, the, the the presence of of the Spirit was just so strong in that car, and it kind of set me up for the difficult years that were ahead as my family worked its way through seminary and all the challenges of seminary and making a living and it was it was a touch of love i think and of power to get me ready for what i was about to uh go through so i, I appreciate you sharing that and I, like you i could i don't experience that every day or every week or every year but the times that has happened have been uh, precious in my own journey sounds like I, they have been in yours as well yeah and i have a lot of sympathy for 
people who are a bit nervous around that stuff because there is some there is there are some weird things that happen. Yes. Um, but bear in mind, uh, when I was in the hotel window, I was a new Christian, and I'd never been in mm. church in my life. I hadn't been around <laughs> charismania, nothing like that. I had yeah. very little right. knowledge of the Bible at that point, and. Um, and I had no experience of church. I was fresh out of the disco of the 1970s, you know. So, <laughs> oh, wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. I was, a, I was a former football hooligan, so I was hardly like your average, you know, decent human being <laughs> at that point. And uh, so I, I could never have made that up, you know. I remember. Yeah, yeah. In those early days, I'll just tell this one story, then I'll, I'll move on. But sure, please. I, I remember the church. Evening, I got baptized in water with my wife. When I, I you know, like the church in those days, I don't know if churches still do it. They they will ask, um, "Is there anything you want to say? Do you want to share your faith? Do you want to mm-hmm. declare your mm-hmm. faith in Jesus?" And I, I was so nervous. Mm-hmm. I said, "I just clammed up and said no." So the bapt- <laughs> I got I got out of this swimming pool. But hundreds of people standing around the sides waiting for us to finish. And I went into the changing room. I went into my cubicle. I locked the door. And I just knew a different person had come out of that pool. And I I had no understanding of Romans chapter 6. I had very little understanding (laughs) of water baptism. I just knew that old Kevin was dead. And there's a new guy here now, you know. Oh, man. So those those kind of experiences have played an important part in my life, you know, as as the word of God, you know. Oh. Oh. Yeah, okay. So boy, that's you just made my whole day by just by hearing that the, that snippet uh there. Uh so this this now here's what I want to do though. I want to take this journey, a spiritual journey that you're clearly on. Uh the experience with missions in Belgium, in the work in Belgium, the friendship with this American couple out of St. Louis. Uh, what are you doing now, and how did you get to now? What 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 happened that actually brought you here and brought you to a missionary posture uh, in St. Louis uh, from yeah. the from the British Isles? Yeah. So uh, I read a book uh, by Craig Groeschel. It's called Cazon. C H A Z O W N. Was a life changing book. Uh, uh, I'm not. A, I'm not a big theologian. I like easy reads. This was an easy read. <laughs> took, um, we took a sabbatical about ten years ago for a few months and went travelling. And while I was travelling, I read this book. And at the end of the book, it helps you. It helps you define your calling. And I was fresh okay. out of stepping out of big church, and I didn't know what was next. And I wrote down mm. at the end of the book. It, I ha- it, it really helps you to write cool to do. And I wrote down, I will plant the gospel and help others do the same. I will plant the gospel okay. and help do the same. And I didn't know exactly what that meant. And I didn't know then what I know now. And uh, I, I started hearing Frank Chan. And I thought, yes. what, a, what a whiner. And I told my wife, this guy. Whining, whining, whining. And she listened to him and she said, he sounds exactly like you. And so, so I said, oh, great, thank you. Well, Francis, 
his axed at that point about church and he was just about to step out of the church that he'd planted and he was going through all the machinations of yes yes micro church mission yes. community yes and he helped i i had all the same but i wasn't as eloquent as him and so started to listen to a couple of other people talk about macro and micro and missional community. Mm -hmm. My wife was on the same journey with, with me, and she said, yep. we didn't have the same language back in the 1980s, but we were doing something similar to what they're talking about. And what she meant yes. by that was we one day it was only so much. And it was community that, and that's been big for us, you know, that community. Yes. And we didn't know the, we didn't know, understand discipleship. We we knew about yeah. spiritual formation, but we didn't know about yeah. discipleship like we know now. Mm. So, well, <laughs> back in the eighties, we'd have all these kids. We'd have thirty, forty kids in our house a couple of times a week. We'd do trips out. We were friends with them. We had community. They were friends with each other. We did buy. We were accountable to each other. We were doing all the things that we believe now. Back then, we just weren't as eloquent and sophisticated with it. And um, yes. and so, my wife and I, we we had we had executive pastors in a very large church here in St. Louis, like six thousand people. Mm. And I started uh -huh. to notice while I was there that. The bigger the church got, the the smaller the prayer meeting got. The ah. biblical ignorance was more obvious. The biblical illiteracy, mm. and mm. that we, you yeah. know, and without trying to sound too clever here, um, it was a bit mm. like people had described to me about pre-Reformation. There was with all the knowledge. Telling people what to think, and yep. so my feelings were coming out of that. I started to think, mm. yes, yeah, something else. But and I can't say I knew what it was, but there's something else that's going right. to be more effective. I started to realise church as it is is not what I signed up for. I huh. the great commandment, and I signed up for the great commission, and I wasn't seeing <laughs> either of those. And so what happened was I went back to England. I went back to England, but then I had a I have a daughter. Um, she was at, the, at a church in Champaign, Illinois. It was, and she was talking to the pastor and talking to England, and he contacted me. I came back to Champaign, Illinois, became the executive pastor there, and within three years, the church doubled in size, and I started to see. And this is not a criticism. Of the church, you know, yep. I'm not doing that. I understand. Yeah, yeah. The church is doubled in size, but percentage-wise, the prayer meetings down. There's less community, and other podcasts on here have, have talked about. And so, mm. I'm now two days a week, helping them to think through. Um, micro church and hybrid church. Oh, so my relationship nice. with them has been great, you know. So we went traveling 
Francis, uh, Francis Chan, uh, mm -hmm. and then started to read a couple of books. I'm not a great reader, so I got, made my wife read them and gave me the cliff notes. You <laughs> there know? you go. There and, you go. <laughs> uh, so, and said, Lord, what do you want us to do? Mm. Nothing. So I just mm. decided, move on, get jobs, and see what happens. Honestly, that's as much as I got. And um, <laughs> and then somebody, uh, we met, we started meeting people who not on church so much, but deep. Yes, yes. And yes. Uh, not all of them, but some of them are stuck with the journey. Um, they yeah. were looking for community. They were looking for relationship. They were looking for actually having a relationship with Jesus 24-7, yes. not just Sunday. So we started studying the Bible together, praying together, and <laughs> we've been at it <laughs> successfully at times, <laughs> unsuccessfully at times. <laughs> so that's how we got to where we are now. We're in St. Louis trying to develop a network mm -hmm. of microchurches. Yep. Which which you call <clears throat> excuse me which you call Canvas Network, and uh, and we're gonna have we're gonna have contact information and website information that sort of thing uh, in the show notes, uh, but you can you can also just look for Canvas Network out of St. Louis uh, to our listeners online because and I get the I got the sense from your website and this story confirms it that it's it's pretty fresh it's a it's a uh, it's a startup in a, you're very articulate on the website about what your hopes and vision. Uh, what your hopes are, what your vision is, but uh, it's very fresh. It's really just coming out of your work, out of your home there in St. Louis as you were wondering what's next. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, um, I went on a three-day retreat, and hmm. normally I only – normally when I do things like that. <laughs> and when I get home, I'm all depressed, and I tell my wife, I got nothing. <laughs> And then she'll always got say, yep. yeah, I got nothing, yeah. I just got a headache. And then she'll say, well, I was praying at the same time, and I felt like God say this. So apparently, <laughs> I should just stay home and uh, let her do the praying, I think. So, but on this occasion, this was three years ago, um, I had just come out of a bout of meningitis. And it, was a, it was one of those life-defining moments because uh, I was in and out. Well, I came out of unconsciousness momentarily to the first 24 hours. Then I was gone for three days. And I overheard the doctors say, I don't know it. Mm. I, I couldn't see, I couldn't speak, and I couldn't move. Mm. And I, in the middle of the mm. night, I overheard the two doctors say that. I'd already heard the two uh, EMT guys, the emergency guys in the ambulance say it. And both times in my mind, I verse um, involuntarily. I it isn't like I said, oh, I better pray. It wasn't like that. I was almost unconscious, but I, I sensed myself, heard myself in my mind praying, I will not die. I will live and I will declare the glory of God. Well, five days later, mm -hmm. I got myself out of the for the next three months. 
I'm trying to get all the use of my body again. So it was a big moment for me, mm. you know, and, um, and wow. except, for a few, wow. except for a few minor mental lapses every now and again, which 67-year-olds <laughs> get, apparently, I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing good, you know. So on the back of that, a few months later, the following year, I went up to Chicago, I prayed, and normally I get nothing, but this meningitis bad had really impacted me, so I was praying. And, um, mm. and I, within 20 minutes, I felt like God said to me, apostolic and prophetic, or what? And Or what? Or what, yeah. It, I think God speaks to you through your personality sometimes, you know. <laughs> I said, yes, Lord, if you'll explain what that means. And then the next thing was, <laughs> literally a minute later, I pen and write this down. And I wrote down, it's time on a bigger canvas. So we've been tucked away, hidden away, <laughs> like. And so I came back. I gave some feedback to the small team we have here. I think I think it's time to paint on the big canvas. We uh, we'd already been in touch with Underground Network. We've been to their movement okay. school. I've done their movement school three times. I'm a slow learner, you know. And uh, we'd already been to their movement school. We decided to uh, join them in their movement. So we became what they call a sister network. We were going to call it Underground St. Louis, but they asked us not to do that. And then one of the guys on the team said, we should just call it Canvas Network. So <laughs> behind me, behind behind me here, you'll see some of my wife's artwork. And, yeah, uh, I do see. Yeah, yeah. So well, ever, ever since we got that word, she's been doing this. And so she's, ah. been, she's been painting. I can show you. She's very proud of her artwork in the house, you know. And uh, so we came back and cut a long story short, we decided to get the website built and just try and help people around St. Louis. And um, wow. that was the goal. Wow. So the night before wow. we were going to launch, the night before the website, my wife said to me, are you sure you want to launch this? Are you ready? I went, and nobody even knows we're alive. It, we're fine, you know. So we pressed go. The website went, and then I've been we are, we have been swamped with people wanting to collaborate and yes. to help the church. Yes, a, a lot of the church is really wanting to oh. adapt, change, pivot. And yes, they, yes. The church is a beautiful thing. Most of it. It wants to yes. help its communities. It wants to help everywhere yes. I've ever been in the world. Everywhere I've ever been, I've been in forty-four countries. I've come across mm -hmm. American missionaries doing fantastic things, and missionaries from other countries. Yes, and wonderful national churches. Everywhere I've ever been, I've only ever, mostly ninety-nine percent, met great, sincere humble servant Christians and churches. Yes. It's a beautiful story. And I was, you answered a question I had, which is where did the name canvas come from? Beautiful story. But let me, I mean, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. I, I talk about it as my restless friends 
restless Christians. Uh, you said something a moment ago. I want to quote yourself back to yourself, which always makes me nervous when someone does that to me. But uh, you, you said a moment. You said a moment ago that at some point, I think you actually maybe either wrote it down or you simply said it to yourself. Church, as it is, is not what I signed up for. Uh, and Kevin, what what I find are just anecdotally, I've I've not done a Barna survey. He has. Uh, I anecdotally, I, I meet dozens and dozens of people, often younger, but not necessarily younger. Sometimes they're peers uh, our age. Uh, I'm 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 your age, uh, who have this gnawing sense that okay. Uh, this is not what I signed up for. It is particularly heartbreaking or concerning. I meet lots of clergy who will say that. Uh, 10 years invested, 30, 40 years invested. And they're they're wondering uh, if they wasted their life. I had a conversation recently with a, a guy from another state, 20 some odd years invested, uh, great teacher of the word, and yet wondering if he has wasted his life, because this church as it is, I love how you put that, is not what he signed up for. Uh, so let me ask you about that. I've had a similar experience. Uh, I've, I've not been in 40 countries. I've been in 30. I Very similar experience. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you may have the prize. They, they won't let me give blood anymore. I've been to such uh, wonderful spots <laughs> yeah. in the world. They won't let me uh, donate blood anymore. But yeah. like you... Uh, what I've experienced both in the States is this is this weird combination of sometimes you see the worst of our American uh, Christianity or our understanding of church, but that's a minority. What yeah. you mostly see, run into are deep-hearted, uh, spirit-changed, spirit-led people simply trying to answer their calling as best they know how uh, in the power of Christ. And yet... There is this gnawing restlessness about the bride of Christ as it is. I guess I'm wanting to transition and let you pontificate a moment. Uh, are you hopeless or are you hopeful about the church? And, and why are you what you are? Uh, well, like you, I feel like I've been around the track once. Um, <laughs> I've been around church for 40 years or so. Um and I have heard even much of the complaints or the agony that we hear now and we see on Twitter and Instagram about mm -hmm. the church. I've, I've, listened, I've listened to things like that off and on different periods for 40 years and people, have, people are going through... I have massive sympathy for people now who are going through all kinds of things, you know. Yes. Negative. Yes. To the church. I think compassionate towards me. American Christians, <laughs> American Christians have had to suffer the political agonies, masks, oh. COVID, and the threat of nuclear war. But they should put themselves in my shoes. I'm... I'm a green card holder. I'm not even a citizen of the United States. So I'm, I'm a okay. green card holder in the United States. I'm a British passport holder. I have to, I've got a daughter who's four who teaches in the University of um, 
and I had to listen to Brexit, COVID in Britain, mm. masks in Britain, mm. threat of nuclear war, and then duplicate that in the United States. And then I've got all the <laughs> church leaders in Britain, because in that denomination, assemblies, well, it's not a denomination, it's a fellowship, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I have who are leading churches in Britain. People here, I have to hear all of these machinations and agonies two times over. Yes. And, and so, <laughs> twice as much. Yeah, twice as much. So it's all, all the time. And, and then um, I am hopeful now. Time in the 40 years that I've been a Christian, except for the first two years when I was living in mm. that bliss. Mm -hmm. And I was running yes. around Belgium, yes. healing the sick, preaching on the street. <laughs> you know, if I could have lived there, I would have died a happy man, you know. Um, yes, but yes. Just in normal life, normal church, I'm more excited now because I think the church is. God's trying to lead, but we're stumbling towards something brand new. Oh. Uh, when I say brand new, I mean, you can see it in the book of Acts. And we've, we've just got a generation coming now that, and I don't just mean young, I mean just the generation that's asking questions. If it can just get its head together and pray, I think God will lead mm. us into something beautiful. Honestly, I do. And, uh, something beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I do. I do, honestly, you know, and I I do work. If I, when I finish with you on here, I'm going to go with my son into but that's very, very poor, very deprived. Mm. And we're going to give out mm. to the same 12 families we've been giving groceries out to all during COVID. Mm. And we have got to know a neighborhood mm. there, by and large, African-American. And I come across... Mm -hmm. American churches there, mm -hmm. some of whom are deep to that neighborhood, they're leaving God for money to not just put buildings up or modernize, but to invest in the community, to open businesses, you know, and these are people with hardly anything. And then I come out into the suburbs yeah. and there are churches out here now that are determine try and find what church looks like and they're pivoting and going through a lot of agony but it's worth it that's yes. that's, that's my view on mm. where i think mm. we're at now you know <laughs> i think we're in a really yeah i would wonderful time honestly it's 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 hard and it's wonderful it's some kind of wineskin moment a time for new wineskins and uh uh i I'm like you. I don't. I don't have it. Certainly, I don't. I don't know anyone that has the blueprint uh, or the exact map, uh, other than perhaps what you just said—an increasing dependence on the Lord in prayer, in discernment, in listening, in talking less. Here I am on a podcast yakking away, but I actually think the uh, answer is in less yakking and more listening in these kind of wineskin moments. Wow. Wow, I love, I love the journey you're on. Is, is, do you think there's a danger? We, you and I are both at the micro church conference, and it, 
a lot of people excited about that as a as a possible way forward, uh, perhaps a new wineskin or at least a step towards it. Uh, what are the dangers, do you think, for this uh, early microchurch movement? Anything concern you about this young microchurch movement that is kind of exploding? Well, positive for a minute. Um, American, sure. American people entrepreneurial, gifted, yes. um, charitable people on the planet. The, the other group of people that are easily as entrepreneurial as Americans are Nigerian. Africans, they're ah, amazing, you know. Interesting. Um, so the American, the Amer- American church, in a positive, I mean this in a positive way, it reflects the wider society. The American church is, can be Indeed. innovative, you know, can be a really pos- pos- positive influence. And the downside to it, uh, and I think we've engineered mm-hmm. this in a time that I, the 40 years that I've been a, been a Christian, where we got into the church growth movement and, you know, yes. leadership yes. and management. The downside to the to the American church is that there are opportunists who will try and mm. turn every move of God into a marketing machine. Mm. And I think it will yes. be really sad if gift ugly people who are brilliant at mm. marketing turn this into a money-making exercise, turn this into a machine, ah. rather than it being the what I, I believe it's supposed to be the beautiful, innovative, small thing it's supposed to be that is intrinsically embedded mm. in neighborhoods, whether they're mm. Mm. black mm. or white. Mm. And I mm. just I just hope they don't make that's my yes. that's my biggest yes. fear with it. You wow. know? I really appreciate your honesty there, Kevin. I, I had one or two brief conversations with some of the more well-known people who were at the micro conference, and they voiced a similar concern. And it's interesting because they they became at least preacher famous, I call it. You know, uh, most of my friends wouldn't know who they are, but all of us preachers and pastors know who they are. And they endured the last 15 years kind of becoming well-known and then feeling like their message got either diluted or franchised or marketed and kind of got into the machine and lost some of its uh, mojo, if you will. And so I uh, appreciate your honesty about your concern. We're, it's early. I was impressed at the micro church conference. I think they were, they never said, I think they were maybe expecting a, a hundred or a couple hundred people to show up and four or 500 showed up, which speaks to the hunger, speaks to the anguish and then the positive restlessness for wineskin. So I really appreciate uh, your, your concern there. I hope we'll take that uh, to heart. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'm chewing up your time here and really enjoying your story. Uh, given our audience of uh, very similar, well-intentioned, uh, heartfelt uh, Christians who wanted to touch their cities, who want to be a part of blessing their cities, would you have a last word or two before we uh, close this out? Yeah. I... Um, calling that came up earlier in this podcast is yes. really, really 
people shouldn't be doing things that God doesn't intend them to do, you know. And um, mm. But I do think sometimes, for example, um, the Underground Network down in Tampa, they have a tool called Calling Lab, and I've been using that uh, with different groups of people, and it's been super helpful. But the the, the and if you go through Enneagram, Apex, right. sure. then you get to week sure. five, and week five is listening prayer. Mm. The first four weeks, and we do like an hour a week uh, for six weeks. Mm -hmm. The first four weeks, mm -hmm. people leave on the hour because I have, a, I have a philosophy, nothing good happens after an hour, you know, so let's, we let them go. <laughs> and we did listening prayer. I don't do hardly anything with it. I just now and again might just mention a scripture or tell a story just to kind of lighten the mood a bit. Somebody else does the rest. Last week, at the end, these people and said, there's obviously a, lot, obviously a lot of interest in listening prayer. So in a few more minutes, we stayed another 45 minutes, only two people left. So obviously, <laughs> so people good. want to hear from God. That's why I'm, that's why, one reason I'm hopeful. But calling is yes. really, really important. But I will say this, even moments like in the hotel window or in the dead zone in central Illinois and then <laughs> getting like this outer body experience at 75 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Quite often we stumble the purpose of God. Yes, very good. And um, mm -hmm. I had an experience that completely changed my life about two and a half years ago, just before COVID, about about six months before COVID, so it's probably three years ago, I took a wrong turn. I was listening to NPR, and there was a, a young man on there talking about uh, food deserts. And I'd, been, I'd never heard of it, and I listened. I'd never heard of desert. Listened, mm -hmm. and then he gave out his, um, his uh, website address, um, mm -hmm. fortheville.org, and so I went to it. I sat in my car, went to it, looked at it while he was talking. I thought, this is fascinating. Right. And then it went dark, and I took a wrong turn, and I ended up in this neighborhood, <laughs> the very neighborhood that he was talking about. So I got out of my car. <laughs> I got out of my car. You know, I'm not shy. I got out of my car. I see these elderly people standing on a corner. I said, could you? I got lost. And they said, oh, you're in the Ville neighborhood. So I did, being British, my wife and I did a bit of research. You should, you should Google the Ville, St. Louis. Okay. It has the okay. first African-American high school ever west of the Mississippi. It had the first female African-American millionaires in America in, in that neighborhood. It had... Wow. So my interest was peaked because I love his... So I started driving around and prayer driving. The local people said, don't, it's too dangerous for you, but drive around and, and pray. Wow. That's what the Christians told me. So wow. I started driving around and I, I started seeing that people. I cut a long story mm. short, cut a long story short because of time now, you know, but I started giving out coats. Somebody said, oh, the school, the elementary school needs coats. 
I started collecting coats. That first winter, I must have given away 500 coats. And wow. It was amazing. I, I was absolutely blown away by how beautiful that neighbourhood was. There were some crazy people in there, but how beautiful the neighbor, neighbourhood was. So I've been going there two or three times a week. I don't live there. Every time I pray, I don't mean this is like an excuse. I feel like God wants me to stay mm -hmm. where I live for now, you know. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm embedded in the high school. I'm in, we're embedded in the elementary school. We've completely painted the entire school. We're building staff lounges. And I with a wrong turn listening to the radio, and all these coincidences <laughs> came together in a moment. And last year, from That's around so the world, people sent me $50,000 towards work in that neighborhood. My goodness. Around the world. Yes. $50,000. Yes. I only put it on Facebook twice. I've never posted pictures of people just put said, hey, we're collecting coats. We're trying to get groceries <laughs> for people. I don't want to do the big truck thing. God bless the people who do that. Mm -hmm. I want relationship, <laughs> you know. Yes. And, uh, yes. Wow. So I could keep you on another podcast mm -hmm. just with stories from that neighborhood. It's been absolutely the best experience I ever had. And I stumbled into it. Stumbled into it. Wow. I love it. Well, there may be another podcast in our future. We'll see because I've, I've enjoyed this so much and, Take, I'm taking seriously your nothing good happens after an hour. We're right there at an hour. Great, uh, great, good. That I, I love that. I love the the beauty of what you're doing there in uh, the Ville. Uh, love your whole story. Uh, get, uh, let me speak to our audience and just say what a wonderful conversation with Kevin Pimblot, uh, with Canvas Network. Uh, I don't have it right in front of me, Kevin. Is it dot org or dot com? Yes, Canvas, yeah, Canvas Network dot org. Yeah. Dot org. Okay. I couldn't remember. I'm an old man too. So canvasnetwork.org. Absolutely check it out. Information will be in the show notes. This has been a, a delight to me to follow up on a two or three minute conversation at the micro church conference. Beautiful story, apostolic work, small, uh, beautiful. Uh, I, I, I love the grassroots nature and the fact that you're not working off of some master plan. You're simply answering the call and following these uh, God circumstances, these accidents that have come into your life. Okay. So I know, I know you're getting ready to blast off and, uh, and go do some uh, ministry. It sounds like with your son. Uh, thank you, Kevin, for taking the time. Really appreciate having you on here and God bless what you're doing, brother. Mm -hmm.